0: You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Homes.com knows having the right agent can make or break your home search.
1: Good morning, peeps, and welcome to Woke F Daily with me, your girl, Danielle Moody, recording from the bunker. Folks, I, I got to say that as I continue to watch, and I'm sure that you all are as well, all of the reports coming out, not only from this country, but around the globe as it pertains to global warming and climate, the cr- climate crisis that we are seeing in real time. All of the things that scientists, you know, remember when we used to actually listen to scientists and believe them as a whole entire country until Republicans decided that they would have their own scientists and their own alternative facts and then distort reality? Well, now their warnings have come to pass. And the thing that I wonder as I listened to President Biden talk to the American people about the crisis that we're in and fall short of issuing a public health emergency around climate change is, are we just too late? You know, I've been watching videos all over social media of the tarmac at Heathrow airport that fucking melted of a sinkhole that swallowed up Nearly half of a goddamn street in the Bronx in New York after the rain that we just got in. There was entire, once again, subway stations that turned into geysers. You're talking about the state of Texas issuing like a series of alerts because they are experiencing 114 degree temperatures for a number of days in a row where we're talking about drought, where we're talking about a food shortage. We're talking about all of these things that have now just blown out of control. We had 20, 30 year lead time to avoid this, to actually create policies and initiatives that supposedly where people were supposed to come together in the Paris climate agreement to do, and then come to find out this week that not one country, not one of them, that signed on to the Paris climate agreement is on track to deliver what it was that they said that they would deliver to the world. So the world is on fucking fire. No one has infrastructure built to sustain the rising temperatures that are now going to be the norm. And what we are going to see is the chain reaction of events that are going to come to pass. I talked about this yesterday with regard to the price of food, the price of water, right? Because what's going to happen is that as folks are just, you know, trying to water their lawns or keep their plants alive, you have farmers that are trying to water their produce in order to keep us alive. You have the entire country of Italy declare a climate emergency because they're in a major fucking drought. So you talk about the fact that we are all interconnected. We have not been acculturated to be global citizens and surely not under Trumpism because that was all a America first. Well, you know, there is no America first, Italy first, this, that, and the other thing. We're all fucked, right? That's what it means to be interconnected. And that's what it means when you don't have a community mindset and instead are continuing to function in silos as if one country's actions doesn't affect the other. We can no longer pretend that we are not in a crisis. And you know what's funny is that when you are looking to voters right now on where climate change falls in their list of issues that they're concerned about, well, when you're looking at people 65 and up who are generally the ones to vote in midterm elections and off presidential year elections, they don't really care about climate change, right? Because more than half of their lives are fucking over. And- Many people have actually articulated that in the public sphere because I guess their shame around being so fucking selfish does not matter because the world, right, is just so selfish. But when you talk to young people, particularly Generation Z, climate change is kind of the number one thing because they're wondering how they're going to, I don't know, be able to sustain on a planet that we are killing every single day. So, you know, you have Joe Manchin, who has once again said that he is not going to vote for any climate legislation. Why should he give a fuck? His family are multimillionaires. Right? That are making money off the backs of the poor stupid people in West Virginia. And yeah, I said stupid because today I'm fucking pissed. I'm pissed that this motherfucker stays in power. I'm pissed that nobody calls him out. Joe Biden in his fucking press event to the world around climate change is calling out Republicans, but not calling out fucking Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema. Oh, because what? What are we afraid of? That he's gonna continue doing nothing? That he's gonna continue rolling with and acting like a Republican and being a Democrat in fucking name only? Like at this point in time, I just wish that we would stop operating from a place of fucking fear and start operating from a place of reality and strength. That motherfucker needs to go, right? Along with Merrick Garland needs to go. And it's just like these fucking quote unquote moderate white men are going to be the fucking death of us. And I'm just wondering when everybody else is gonna start to realize that. Coming up next, my conversation with voting rights advocate and political narrative strategist, Maya Contreras. Folks, I am very excited to welcome to Woke AF Daily for the first time, Maya Contreras, who is a voting rights advocate and political narrative strategist, which I like that name and I may steal it at some point. Um, Maya, thank you so much for making the time to join Woke AF. I want to start off our conversation today, um, you know, we are a month plus, uh, uh, a little bit out from the reversal of Roe v. Wade from the Supreme Mm -hmm. Court's dramatic decision to take away, for the first time, I think, in modern history, to take away a right uh, Mm -hmm. that Americans have had over the last uh, close to 50 years. Mm -hmm. Um, And we are still dealing with the repercussions of that. Uh, Many states, as you know, had trigger laws that were already in place. So women and people with uteruses in roughly, I believe it's 13 plus states, um, have lost the ability to have bodily autonomy. The White House uh, with their with their outgoing White House communications director, pushed back against activists in a way that was really shocking, kind of pinning activists in a way against establishment Democrats and saying that, Those that are fighting on the ground and are the first line of defense are apparently out of step, quote unquote, with establishment Democrats. I wanted to get your initial reaction um, from that statement and then, you know, the subsequent actions and things that we have been hearing, reading uh, and observing on social media and in the news as it pertains to this administration's um, emergency action against this reversal. So when I
0: first heard what the outgoing <laughs> uh, secretary said, I, um, I put like 12 hands over my face. Um, <laughs> I was, uh, I just was, um, I was saddened, but not surprised. And um, the reason I say that is um, my grandfather taught at American University. My mom was born in Washington, D.C. I spent a lot of time in D.C. growing up. And one of the number one things that I learned about D.C. when I was eight years old was that D.C. is allergic to creativity. And, um, Come they on. Are, yes. And, and I will say that um, because of that, you have people that are moving into a bubble there um, who are still thinking in ways that are very antiquated. And one of my issues with – and, and, and I, first of all, let me say this too – I live in definitions. One of the things that Dr. X. Kendi said, and I love, is that we need to live in the definition. So when I say, when I use the word establishment, anyone that steps into Congress becomes establishment. I want you all Mm -hmm. to understand that. That Mm -hmm. is an establishment, and you're moving into establishment, and you're choosing to work in an, an establishment environment. It is very difficult to work in something That was not created for the vast majority of us. It is very difficult. The the bones of D.C., uh, inside that is uh, racism, misogyny, misogynoir. That is what you're walking into. That's why that system is difficult. Now, on top of that, when you have messengers that are vast, the vast majority of them are white and who have never worked in activist spaces or advocacy spaces, this is the kind of messaging that comes through. Where the fault lies is in not recognizing that they need to have more people that work in those spaces inside of the White House. Um, that was the biggest mistake, I will say. She fundamentally in that moment, I think, I'm, I'm not going to assume what she thought, but I'm, I'm assuming she did later regret to say it. I think mm-hmm. that she was trying to hit, hit back um, off of people who had been maybe performative in their activism but what it did was hurt people that are waking up in their daily lives, um, fighting against this tide of racist codified policies that are coming out throughout the country. So that I will say that was my initial reaction and in a little bit of um, where I saw the mistake coming from. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I, I find that, you know, as somebody not not quite uh, like you, not as embedded, but I spent over 15 years in Washington, D.C. I went, you know, uh, undergrad political science, grad school education policy, and then worked on the Hill, ran the gamut until I fled D.C. in 2016 uh, to move to New York. And what I can say yeah. about Inside the Beltway is that you are absolutely right. Um, creativity is, uh, an oasis there, right? That many, and I, and maybe not even an oasis, I'll say a mirage that you, mm-hmm. you kind of think with new administrations that you will come to this place of consensus and bipartisism and, you know, and, and this, this imagined place of yesteryear. And what we are seeing, I think, more and more is that the behind the curtain, uh, scotch drinking, handshaking, you know, um, kind of politics that Joe Biden cut his teeth in are no longer apparent. Yet the people that he employs and that still find themselves employed in Washington, D.C. and in politics are still of that mindset. And so where where they're viewing activism, right, even the acknowledgement that this administration is not going to its full capacity of power to push back against the compounded crises that we're dealing with, that we are the problem somehow. And so, you know, for many activists who I've talked to, particularly around abortion, they were pissed. They've been pissed mm-hmm. at this administration. You know, mm-hmm. they, they were pissed at this administration um, because we have yet to have a president utter the word abortion, let alone fight uh, for it in a way that would say that we are going to go to the very lengths that our executive power allows us to go, we go in there, right? And so what is it that you see or think about this administration, what it's been faced with, because I'm not saying that they walked into a warm, you know, welcome setting where they could kind of take on tasks one at a time. Um, They kind of walked into a five-alarm fire, and now it really is one across the planet. What do you think that this administration isn't getting, and do they have an opportunity to make a pivot?
0: So I have said this, and I just said it in an article I wrote for Dame this week, that the message is policy. So we have to look at what Our legislators are doing uh, in Congress. And by that, this administration, and by that I mean the 117th Congress, is actually doing quite well. They've introduced a host of amazing legislation to codify abortion, to expand protections, to protect our data from being released, and things like that. However, we have a Senate that is gridlocked, and no matter what anyone says, Joe Biden has no sway or control over mansion and cinema because these are separations of power. He he's not a dictator. He cannot tell them what to do. These stories of LBJ saying that he leaned people in the corner and intimidated them, those are overblown and if you read the the history of LBJ, they're they're much overblown and exaggerated. Second, I will say this. Joe Biden is somebody that is a moderate president. It's like when a lot of people thought when Obama got elected that he was going to do all these things and really swing to the left, but he was moderate too. We have to recognize that when we're electing moderates, we're going to get moderate responses. So I don't, so all the things that Joe Biden is doing, I'm not surprised. That's why he wasn't my first pick for president either, right? Yes. Yeah, so so yeah. that's why to yep. me, we have to recognize when mm-hmm. they're showing us and telling us who they are, that is who we're getting. Now, regarding backdoor deals, I want to go back to that for a second. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, that still exists at the local level and the state level and the, and the, um, uh, and at the federal level. I mean, in New York, we're both New Yorkers. We are haunted by the ghosts of Tammany Hall and Robert Moses. We have so many people that, once they move into spaces of power, want to stay there. This is the problem with the entrenchment of power. All of a sudden, you have people that are willing to not be transparent in the deals that they are making, including city council members that I had in the past really supported and liked, and then saw them change the moment they moved behind that power door. So what we have right now in D.C. is a more of a rarity of people that are willing to speak their mind and speak freely about it. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of people who've been entrenched in power are so risk averse that they're the ones that are really the problem. So to me, what the problem yeah. is that's going on the local, state, and federal level is an aversion to risk. But Joe Biden and, and a traditional moderate uh, Democrats have long looked at polls to decide what people want. Well, Biden, if, if we can fault Biden specifically, mm-hmm. it will be mm-hmm. that, one... People want to have access to abortion. 77% of this country supports that. People support SSI, which would help the disabled community. They support so many pieces of policy that Biden uh, should understand that they're popular and he can make these decisions to do more. However, I will say this. Regarding EOs, executive orders, they can only do so much. They can be thrown out by our SCOTUS, our right-wing SCOTUS, they can be overturned by the next president. So yep. we, this is why they're very difficult. The main thing that we want to do, and what I will also say that Ruth Bader Ginsburg wanted to do, was actually slowly put these pieces together so it's harder to blow it down. That's why she never wanted Roe v. Wade to go in the way that it did. However, mm-hmm. when was the opportunity to codify it? I went through, you should know that I'm an award-winning researcher, so I went through and looked at every single Congress since 1973 to see when there was a supermajority and when they could have codified, and it only happened two times. Jimmy Carter's administration for two years and Obama uh-huh. for 72 yep. working days, and for a Jimmy Carter, people need to understand Jimmy Carter was not pro-abortion. He didn't want federal funds available for it, so that was never going to happen. Not only that, but he had 125 men men that were like, "Hell no, it's not happening." So that was a non, that was not going to happen. The same with the Obama administration. Obama came in and saying, "Hey, let's do this," naively thinking, "I've got the votes." He didn't have the votes. Obama needed to look before he spoke when saying that. When yep. you go back through and you see the votes. He didn't have them. He didn't have them. He didn't have him. It would have been filibustered and he didn't have them if it wasn't filibustered. So this is why I'm saying we have never had the opportunity to codify it. We got the ACA through with the skin of our teeth. Mm-hmm. So that's why people have to understand that one of the ways if we want to codify Roe and we're trying to do that, it's passed in the House, it's not going to pass in the Senate, is we have to elect more senators. That unfortunately sounds like such an annoying and boring thing, Right. But that is the reality of our situation if we're talking about strategy. Hey, I'm David Plotz of Slice Political Gabfest. As another election season accelerates, it can be tricky to sort through all the noise in the news. Each week on the Gabfest, John Dickerson, Emily Bazelon, and I decipher the headlines, break down the races, and tell you what issues really matter. We do not always agree. We definitely do not always agree. But we always deliver thoughtful debate, and we always have a good time. So subscribe to Slate's Political Gap Fest. New episodes every Thursday.
1: You know, it doesn't, it's not even to me, Maya, that it sounds boring. Um, It's Mm. just that when I even hear the word moderation right now, as we are seeing pictures of literally the globe that is on fire, when we are seeing that, I just, I just watched a, a story right before we were talking today of uh, more mm-hmm. women i think it's up 100 uh, 150% of women looking mm-hmm. into sterilization in places mm-hmm. like texas and ohio that those google searches mm-hmm. and those um th- those research meetings with doctors are becoming increasingly the norm because they would mm-hmm. rather sterilize than end up in mm-hmm. a predicament where they are not at ha- don't have access to contraception or changes you know in 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 a month um, or that mm-hmm. they in fact do become pregnant and then of course are not able to abort that pregnancy. And so mm-hmm. when you hear all of these stories and I, and, and I mean, I could go on and on and on, uh, as people mm-hmm. know, on woke AF, you think to yourself, where the hell does moderation make sense? Where does it, it make exist. sense? Like, you know what I'm saying? That, and that's a, it's just like, I didn't, mm-hmm. Biden was not my first choice. He wasn't even mm-hmm. my fifth. Mm-hmm. And so when I am talking about, yes, I understand that America said, you know what? Here's an old white evil man, Donald Trump. We're going to get a good white old man to battle Mm -hmm. against him. And then Mm -hmm. all is going to be well. Well, you know, 18 months after an insurrection, an attempt to overthrow the government and a series of laws that have been passed in red states, nowhere in sight do you see Republicans working at a pace called moderation. So I'm wondering what you believe is a mm-hmm. pivot or pivots that mm-hmm. need to happen, not just from this administration, but at the state and local level with Democrats, mm-hmm. um, in order to one, uh, hold on to the majority in the house and in the Senate, even if it's by the skin of their goddamn teeth to mm-hmm. avert fascism, um, mm-hmm. But in general, to recognize that this incremental change in progress that we've been kind of feeding people for decades Mm. plus, it ain't it anymore.
0: Sure, I would also say a couple things. One, no, I'm not someone who believes in moderation when there is multiple crises. There's a mental health crisis, there's an environmental crisis, there's a public health crisis. There's multiple crises, right? And crises means that that they need quick emergency response. But let me say this first. a lot of the white people that ended up voting for Joe Biden that moved over to him, mm-hmm. um, this is fine for a lot of them. You have to understand, mm. this was fine for them. They're like, okay, so that, we're good now. We're going to go back to brunch. This was fine ah! for them. Okay? Mm-hmm. So they don't care. Now, I will say this. Within Congress, the reason why moderation has been a, a word used to describe Congress for so long, why? Because 77% of our Congress now is still white. Uh, the vast majority of it, I think it's 78, 76%, no, I'm sorry, 73% is male. Mm-hmm. So you have to understand that black women, women of color in Congress, LGBTQ members, disabled members, they still make up 27%, a fraction of Congress, so when we say, well, why are things working at such a moderate pace? You have to understand that the vast right. majority of Congress yep. doesn't see that necessarily as an emergency. I'm not saying there aren't some, as to use Donald Trump, some very fine white people on the, <laughs> the, on the, <laughs> the Democratic side. I'm not saying that. Because obviously, right, Chris Murphy wants gun safety. You know, You have white women in there that are fighting for abortion access. But you have to understand, for the for the vast majority of time, these are people that don't necessarily understand what daily discrimination looks like. They don't know what that black women go through. A medical term called weathering due to di- um, daily discrimination, and it weathers on body. They don't. They they kind of started recognizing that during COVID, when black and brown people were dying at a disproportionate rate, that maybe that correlated with health, right, and, and the way that we either use. Uh, I don't know, maybe cigarettes or drinking to cope with daily discrimination or lack of opportunities and all this other stuff. So, hi puppies. Um, so, Sorry. No, no, <laughs> they're just in uh, the building. <laughs> exactly, they're just, they're just, they're just like co-signing. That's exactly mine. Yeah, right. Um, so, so what I'm saying is that the reason why the Democratic Party had long-held moderation as a standard uh, is because you mostly had white people. Now that we have more black people, more queer people in it, that isn't necessarily the narrative anymore. All the great policies, by the way, that I've talked about to codify uh, marriage equality, to, to qualify, mm-hmm. codify mm-hmm. Um, abortion rights and all this stuff, most of it came from black and brown people in Congress. Yep. If you look yep. at these fabulous... So that's what I'm saying. So the Democratic Party couldn't have a long-term strategy because it did not include it for a very long time centering people that were the closest to the harm. So this is why things are starting to change, but this is also why we need to elect more inclusive. It's not just about representation. It's also about inclusivity. We want to elect people that do understand the public health crisis. We want people to understand that this is a, as a now situation and, and that's how it's going to change. So I'll say that.
1: You know, I, I, I wonder though, Maya, you know <laughs> haven't we run out of time
0: because uh, here, yeah. like
1: this is this is kind of this is the place that I am in too where I'm just mm-hmm. like you know <clears throat> i hear from people uh who are yo- who are younger right mm-hmm. G- generation z and i guess you know early still late end millennials who are just like, I've been told that every election since the first one that I was able to vote in is the most consequential election of my Mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. I've been told for, you know, every every single time that like now or never, right? Mm -hmm. This one is actually the most consequential election of all time. And I'm wondering if, you know, if we're just pressing pause on the catastrophe that our democracy is in, or if we really do believe that if we hold on by the skin of our teeth come November uh, and then we continue to hold on in 2024, which mm-hmm. is a real long shot, mm-hmm. that somehow we can write this shit. Because to your point, we know who the problem is. It mm-hmm. has been cis white men, hetero Christian. And I use mm-hmm. quotations in power that have been the problem, because Mm -hmm. any of the things that we are seeing be thrown out of the window in in regard to our rights don't affect them, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So I'm just wondering, like, have we run out of time as we were preparing for and hoping for a demographic shift that was going to allow us to have more representation in the way that we needed it to have the kind of real sustainable change that is necessary to right this imbalance?
0: So I will say, fabulous framing, fabulous question. I will say this. First, I believe that every election is consequential. Every single election is consequential. Every single one. I also want to make a distinction really quickly. The Republican Mm -hmm. Party has such an easy time. If you're only guarding white supremacy, wow, you got one goal. Pretty easy. They're protecting whiteness and the alliance of whiteness. It doesn't matter if you're black or brown and in the Republican Party, you're still signing up for the alliance of whiteness. That is what's happening in the Republican Party, okay? So they have one goal, protect white supremacy and protect profits. That is it. The Democratic Party became the Civil Rights Party in 1964, officially at that point with the signing of the Civil Rights Act and then with the signing of the Voting Rights Act. Um, But that wasn't a purposeful mission of the Democratic Party. It was like LBJ felt... He wanted to, you know, honor JFK's legacy. JFK kind of was like, I guess we should sign in civil rights. You know, he kind of reluctantly did it, was killed. LBJ signed it in. And then black people began to make the Democratic Party what it is moving towards at that moment. So there wasn't a long-term plan because our party is only 57 years old. And really, as more groups begin to get civil rights, for example, when the nineteen ninety. Uh, Disability Act was signed, and American with Disability Act was signed, and mm-hmm. then you're moving more disabled people into it. And more disabled people, they're split, they, they, they're in the Republican Party than the Democratic Party, but that also imbued our party more with protections. So the, the Democratic Party has a little bit of a harder time on messaging and long-term strategy and planning because we are the only game in town, okay? So we're the only ones that are saying, we do want gun safety. We're the only ones in town that are saying we do want trans rights. We're the only, all the LGBTQ members in Congress right now, there's 11 of them. They're all in the Democratic Party. Okay? Yeah. So we have to recognize that that is what, that's what the difference is between the two parties. Now, I will also say this. As we try to make these parties more inclusive at the local, state, and federal level, the problem is gatekeeping starts at the local level. At the local level, the um, demographics mirror Congress. It's overwhelmingly white, overwhelmingly wealthy, because Mm -hmm, people mm -hmm. tend to think of Congress in a hierarchy. It's not. Power brokers start right at the local level. We should be looking at it in this kind of way. They're the ones making decisions at the local level, but that also has funding. It's all of these things, neighborhoods. And then obviously at the state level, that's gerrymandering. That's determining all of these other laws, right? State laws. So all of these are, are mostly white men moving in. So to me, if I want the Democratic Party to have a plan, and they do, which is, one, we know that the Republicans have decided to, to continue to openly behave in an extreme way, that that is never going to change unless the power dynamic changes. And so, uh, for example, well, so now, let me move into this. <laughs> That's never going to change unless... The Democrats can move the filibuster out of the way, right. and then we can flood the flood the zone with with policy, but then the Democrats have to recognize that they have to start investing more at the local and state level too. right now that infrastructure is not there. I 'm glad that Jamie Harrison kind of sees that at the DNC at the same time. it's still really frustrating because we also need the public to understand that if we want to change local state and federal policy, we really have to be involved. And let me tell you, like my husband and I are constantly walking around meeting and talking to people about politics and policy, and the vast majority of people in this country don't even know who their governor is. I know. Who their local representative is. So this, there's a lot of people that are politically involved. So unfortunately, activists are doing a lot of the heavy lifting mm-hmm. and trying to show up. So we need to get the general public more involved. We still have a terrible vote record in this country. This last election in 2020 is one of the highest thresholds we've ever had, and it was still only 60%. 40% of people decided to still sit it out. So if we want things to change, yes, we can totally yell at Biden. I criticize Biden online all the time. I try to be very specific in my criticisms, and very specific in my criticism with Congress. But we also need to criticize aspects of the public that are sitting it out, that are brunching, that are taking their vacations. They're allowed to do that, but they also need to show up to vote. They also need to show up and show that there are people that are, that are lives in the line. And so I think that's where we all, I think so that's why the conversation to me, I want it to be more holistic for um, the national conversation that I think we should be having.
1: Yeah. And I, and I will I will say this, that, you know, with regard to civic engagement in this country, it has never been a value or a tenant. Right. Because if it was, then our public education, our K through 12 schooling would look a hell of a lot different. You would be graduating with your um, with with your uh, voter registration, as well as receiving your cap and gown and your diploma. We would have a rigorous civic engagement program that would be about understanding all the different facets of government so that it is not a surprise on your 18th birthday when you're able to go and pull a lever in a polling place, what that Mm -hmm. actually means and what your Mm -hmm. effect and what your power is. Is at your state and local level. There's a purpose to keeping people ignorant so that you're able to control them, but then blame yeah. them at the end of the day to say, well, why didn't you get involved? Well, I don't know enough to get involved. And the way in which this country has decided to miseducate me has left us with 40% of the population unable to, unwilling to vote because A, they don't know anything or mm-hmm. B, what they do know is enough to make them want to sit out. Um, yeah, my, Oh yeah, I just want to say yeah. really
0: quickly to that there are there's a reason for that. One, Newt Gingrich, and two, the Telecommunications Act uh, 1994. Newt Gingrich wanted experts and civics to be done and over. And when he won control of the House in the 90s, he made that his mission to pull experts out of Congress and to slow the role on civic education programs. I'm somebody that was civically educated when I was a young child in New Mexico, but that has stopped. So I want you to know that Republicans are responsible for helping getting that. Oh, I know. And then two with the Telecommunications Act, when you stopped having two different pundits from two different, um, you know, I would say on the different ends of the polar spectrum, being in the same room and having, you know, having to speak to each other, that also ruined engagement and being able to kind of confront the bullshit that was coming out of like Fox News' mouth. It's the reason why Fox News can exist the S- 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 sinclair can take over local stations and miseducate people on purpose and and also call themselves entertainment so they don't have yep. to be called news so this is why and i agree with you completely so yes anyways i i know we're wrapping this up i just want to say thank you so much for having me i could talk to you about this all day long um but again thank you so much
1: Thank you, Maya. This has been a really great conversation. I know folks are going to enjoy it. And I really do hope that uh, you come back because we only touched uh, the 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 edge of, of the glacier that is rapidly melting. Um, and I would love the opportunity to talk to you again. So appreciate you. Of course. The Damage Report with John Iderola is one of the most popular shows on the TYT network that serves as your daily breakdown of the genuine threats and challenges facing our country and world. These days we're confronted with an overwhelming sea of shocking, confounding and devastating news stories. The Damage Report is your life raft, helping you navigate the day's news and understand the damage caused by the corrupt establishment, politicians, corporations and everything in between. Join the Damage Report's notorious fan club, the Dragon Squad, where you become part of a fantastic community of progressives. Create a fun dragon nickname that fits your personality, collaborate and participate in fun activities like voting for the garbage person of the week and much more. Listen to the Damage Report on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. with Dr. Rashad Ricci is one of the latest shows on the TYT network and also the fastest growing news show in America. On his show, Dr. Ricci plays no games regarding policy, delivering a heavy dose of fact-based truth and penetrating analysis on all the top news stories focusing on racism, criminal and social justice, politics, police brutality, Karens, and much more. Listeners can also expect interviews with fascinating guests, political leaders, commentators, and even fiery debates with conservatives on a wide range of policy topics in the bullpen. It is an indisputable fact that you will love this show. Listen to Indisputable with Dr. Rashad Ricci on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe so you never miss a new episode.
0: This is Raquel Willis from Queer Chronicles. Right now, there are close to 500 anti-LGBTQ plus bills in state legislatures across the country. Lambda Legal is leading the charge against these hateful bills that target mostly trans and non-binary people. You can fight discrimination and help write the next chapter of Lambda Legal History.